0: The AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. We're down a couple of panel members tonight. Um, Unfortunately, Nathan um, couldn't make it. He's been tied up with some work commitments. um, And unfortunately, Jake has decided to leave the show um, so it's just myself and Ash tonight. Ash, how are you, mate? Oh, I'm not too bad.
1: First week of the bye round, so a bit, bit interesting. Um, not sure exactly why we need four weeks of bye rounds, but we go on.
0: Bring back the old um, split round played over two weeks. I'd much prefer that over um, what we've currently got at the moment. and certainly makes AFL fantasy a little bit more challenging, but... Geez, we've got an interesting hot topic tonight. Um, with concussion being such a big issue, Collingwood superstar Jordan Goey has learnt his fate at the tribunal uh, tonight. He's received a three match suspension. Um, I'm personally of the belief that this is not harsh enough. Um, I don't understand how this is any different to essentially what Nathan Broad did earlier in the season with that really big sling tackle that left Patrick Parnell concussed at the Adelaide Oval. I believe that was round two. Um, Elijah Hewitt got concussion in his fourth game and degoy gets, I think it gets off pretty lightly in this scenario with three weeks if it AFL had a given five weeks, no problem. Four weeks, yeah, it's probably around the mark. But I think three's a bit light, considering we are looking to stamp concussions out of the game uh, from contact, in you know, contact and in reckless incidents. Um, Ash, what are your thoughts on the whole situation? Because yeah, I, I just don't like it. I just don't like it one bit.
1: Yeah, well, first off there go his uh, Brownlow chances. So I think, Nick Dakos it's all for you to sort of take the votes now. Um, I feel like three to four weeks is probably where I was at. I feel, I feel like four probably suited uh, the act more, but I wasn't sort of like overly disappointed hearing that it was three weeks. But it, it does sort of raise some interesting issues sort of remembering Cosy Pickett at the start of the year, only getting two weeks. And I feel like that has been a lot worse than some of the suspensions we've seen this year. And yet it only copped, um, you know, two weeks, which is a fairly small suspension in the grand scheme of things. So it's pretty interesting. And overall just highlights inconsistencies with the MRO on the tribunal system.
0: I've been pretty big on this for a few weeks. Um, Michael Christensen, I think needs to, needs to go. And I think something that just frustrates me is why does this type of incident that we know is bad enough, why does this even need to go to the tribunal? Like I understand Michael Christian's there to to do a job. Like why can't he just make the call? And then if Collingwood want to challenge it to either try and downgrade it Um, or the AFL itself tried to then upgrade the suspension, which we've seen them push for in the past. What is the point of Michael Christensen if he refers, you know, essentially probably a third of his incidents to the actual tribunal itself? What are your thoughts on that, mate?
1: No, I I agree on that. And it's kind of funny because they originally had the the sole match review officer for the whole purpose of having a bit of consistency and, and sort of the same view on on all cases, but it's just created even more inconsistency. So I think that they really um, need to have a look at this again. And I brought it up a few weeks ago when Andrew Dillon was sort of announced as the, the new CEO to replace Gil McLaughlin, that he's had a background in that sort of legal sector. So he would know a bit about uh, the tribunal system in the AFL and the MRO and everything about that. So I hope that he makes some changes when he uh, takes over Gil McLaughlin next year, because it's definitely a bit of a system that needs a review. Definitely.
0: Oh, we could talk about the the MRO Dugowie for a bit longer, but I think the other issue that came out of this game was West Coast's response to Dugowie's actions. They were more verbal on Twitter than they were in the game, um, you know, if it was, you know, Collingwood, you know, you see the way that they go and protect Nick Dacos when he's just getting a bit of push and shove from what was it, Ryan Clark a few weeks ago from the Swans. West Coast didn't even fly the flag in this scenario. And I think it just says a lot about where this club is at at the moment. Um Dom Shee came out and said, you know, um, oh, I didn't see it on the day, but, you know, I think after looking at the vision, I think it deserves a month or two on the sideline. Like, I'm not going to lie, that's a bit of rubbish from, from West Coast and West Coast with their social media. Apologies to West Coast fans, but um, if you don't stand up for your teammates, I think it says a lot about the way that you're going as a club. Um yeah, it's just some of the, the things that we've seen on social media. Um, and then they've just backed down from some of the comments that they've made on social media as well. So uh, a bit inconsistent from West Coast there. What are your thoughts?
1: No, I completely agree with you. Um, and, and sort of I feel like a, a lot of, you know, obviously the main reason why they had to take it down was from the, the, the uproar that was coming from the Collingwood community more than anyone else. I think most sort of neutral supporters are pointing out the fact that it was pretty sort of um, pretty weird and that they haven't really noticed it before, but it wasn't necessarily like they were taking a shot at West Coast or doing a dirty act. But then by taking it down, they've kind of, you know, shown a bit of a weaker side. And, and like I mentioned, you know, most of the uproar was from Collingwood supporters. So I found it actually funny how that sort of link's pretty um, pretty weird. I'm not sure how closely you followed it along, um, Count to sort of what... Um, the, the Collingwood lawyers were sort of using their defense for in their defence during the tribunal hearing today, but some of the stuff they were saying was, um, I've got the quote here, the publicity and the comments that have been made, it adds to the punishment, where they sort of were saying that the outside noise from the community, um, you know, should reduce the ban from, from what he's already copped. But I find that funny just like with the West Coast um, social media post, which they made, half the noise was coming from Collingwood fans themselves, so it, it just felt a, a really weird kind of situation from both parties, and I think there's, um, yeah, weird. Probably the way to describe. I'm not sure really much else to say.
0: Yeah, and I think it just highlights the problems that West Coast have got on going on at the moment, and um, you know, I think it just it's a big blow for Collingwood as well with the King's birthday now. The King's birthday coming up. You know next Monday, and it's a big game against Melbourne, you know Melbourne aren't exactly setting the world on fire, but this suspension to degoey certainly evens the odds with the likelihood that Clay Nolliver will be coming back in um in for Melbourne, so it should be a cracking contest on on Monday. Let's talk about some of the results from the weekend. Unfortunately, your blues um continue their inconsistent form to put it nicely um my Port Adelaide boys ended up getting a win over Hawthorne um basically a game that was over by quarter time and Port Adelaide should have put them to the sword by a hundred points at least I do give cre- Hawthorne some credit they did play a lot better after halftime but I think Port Adelaide should have put them away and missed an opportunity to put them away by 100-plus points and gain some percentage, which they very much needed. Um, I thought it was a cracking game on Saturday night as well between the Western Bulldogs um, and Geelong. Um, I just thought it was a good contest all the way through, and um, Gold Coast really surprised as well, you know, being down by 35 points at one stage. Uh, and then being able to, you know, win over the Crows, who I considered a, a reasonably competitive team at the moment, you know, able to get up over the Crows by twenty five points in Darwin, which is, you know, essentially become their second home now. Apparently, they're four from four from four wins from four games in Darwin, which is quite incredible. Um, and then on Sunday, another cracking Sunday of footy with the Giants and the Tigers, the Tigers getting up by six points uh, and Eston very much getting out of jail against um, North Melbourne, who I think North Melbourne will be just itching that they didn't get those, you know, two wins one against Sydney and the one on Sunday against the Bombers. So what are your thoughts about the weekend, mate? And was there anything that you particularly liked? Uh,
1: I, I think some of the, I like the high scoring close games sort of to, to put it in, in a general sense. So I think, like you mentioned, calm the uh, doggies and cats game. Very, I just realized dog and cats. Um, it, it was pretty high scoring early on, back and forth type contest. And then Geelong obviously ran away at the end of Sunday games as well both games decided sort of in the dying stages so it made it very exciting for a neutral and very rare that you sort of have back to back games where both teams uh both teams score you know around 100 points or over 100 and especially in that Giants and Richmond game it was really the youngsters that sort of came alive you obviously obviously had Josh Fay kicking the winner but um a lot of younger Uh, You had Cadman for his first goal of the game as well, right at the end of the fourth quarter. And then some Richmond boys as well. So it was very nice to see teams who've probably been relying on a bit of youth this year, really, you know, shine on the big stage. Um, Who else? I thought that Melbourne, despite winning, played pretty poorly. This is, you know, likely more about Carlton than Melbourne. fought to do what they had to do against Hawks and Collingwood did what they had to do against West Coast. So, um, on top of that, like you mentioned, Gold Coast, what they've been able to do sort of the last couple of weeks to save potentially Strewju's coaching career, pretty impressive for them. And can they make finals? It's a little bit early to see, but I'm pretty bullish on them and the Crows at the moment. I think both of them will have great futures.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think maybe not this year for the Gold Coast, but maybe next year. Um, I had the Suns in my top eight at the start of the year. I had them in eighth position, and There's signs that they could do it. It's just, are they going to do it? Their record in the second half of seasons since Stewie came to the club in 2018 has been genuinely deplorable. I think there was a season where they didn't register a win after their buy and it was 12 consecutive losses in a row or something along those lines, which is extraordinary. So, um, yeah, hopefully the Suns are able to, you know, get win most of their games at home. And then if they can pinch one or two on the road, um, it might be positive. But something that I absolutely loved on the weekend was watching that first half from Port Adelaide. And people might say that I'm a Port Adelaide supporter and Port Adelaide bias, but that first half against Hawthorne was some of the most electrifying footy that I have seen. This year, and it was just the ball use, the cleanly, cleanliness of you know Burton, Houston, um, you know, Connor and Zach, you know, continuing, continuously getting the ball in the, in the middle, you know, having that free flow sort of energy, moving it to Finlayson and Todd Marshall. Um, Junior Rioli hitting the scoreboard, which was a much-needed game game for him. But um, this team's only going to get stronger with some of the names to come back. It's expected that Dixon will be available for this Friday night's game against the Doggies. Um, you know, Travis Boak probably coming back into the team as well after a couple of weeks off with the, um, some bruised ribs. Um, it's the second time he's had a knock to the ribs for the year. Um, and Arazio Fantasia is, you know, back in the sandful, uh, played for the Maggies on the Port Magpies on the weekend. Um, so, you know, he could be coming back in a few weeks. So, um, and Quinn Narkle, I think, will be firmly pressing on the door to, you know, get into this team. He picked up 29 possessions in his first game for the Port Maggies, um, on Sunday, which was, you know, really pleasing to see. So, um, Let's talk about your blues. There's been a lot of rumblings behind closed doors, Ash. And um, Sam McClure on Footy Classified Monday night suggested that there is a lot of dismay going on at Carlton behind closed doors. And, you know, they could potentially sack Voss. Now, we've just debated this on the podcast a few weeks ago now. I think it was at least. You know, five or six weeks ago now, but I don't see sacking Boss as a logical solution for the club, particularly when you need to create sustainability. You've got all these players on long term contracts Cripps, Walsh, Saad, Kerno, Mackay, Wiedering, Zach Williams, you know, players of that sort of caliber, you know, essentially. Eight to nine players taking up half your salary cap as well. Um, and this list is just kind of in no man's land. And it's not Voss's fault. He didn't go and do all, all of this stuff. Um, but the processes that are in place at Carlton seem to be coming back to bite them. What are your thoughts on this as a Carlton supporter? And are we going to hear another Ashes Carlton rant? Oh, probably not a rant as such. But...
1: Um... I'm shattered, really. Uh, it, it, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. I because because I, I I don't really know where, where to go from here. Every week I'm left with more questions than answers. Um, and like you mentioned, with the whole sacking boss thing. It's sort of crazy how you know this talk and, and and rumors from inside the club that some players really supporting him and, and behind him, behind him and backing him. And then others say that he can't coach whatsoever. He's lost the players. And and it, and it really leaves me wondering sort of what to do. Because this whole time I've been really against Sacking Voss for the reasons that, first of all, there's not a lot of great coaches, at least mid-season right now, that are available. Two, even if you were to sack him, what's to say that they're going to want to come to a club that's known for sacking coaches every two years? And third of all, what does that do to the playing group? You have you know senior coaches, senior players at the club who have already seen five coaches, like Ed Kerno, who's you know not much of a best twenty-two player anymore, but he's seen five coaches in his career. You've got other guys who've seen four coaches, and then you've got the bulk of this group who've seen three coaches, guys like Weeder and Kerno, Mackay. You know, this core spine of this list has already seen three coaches in their short, you know, eight-year career since 2016 or seven-year career since 2016. So I'm not really sure what to do. If if I was in charge of the club, I think you have to keep Voss just because, like you mentioned, you need a bit of stability there. Get rid of the head of football. Get rid of the president president who's been sort of revealed lately as the past CEO of PWS. PwC who was tax evading or whatever he was doing. I don't see how he's still uh, the president of the club, but I expect him to stand down pretty soon. Get a new president, get a new head of football. Brad Lloyd has to go. I think you're going to make the board less about the business side of things and, and, and more get a few board members who actually know how football clubs are run and sort of the standards that need to be driven there. Get some new assistant coaches in. And then most importantly, get rid of this list. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see eight, nine, ten players delisted, another two, three, four traded out. You need something else because you've got stars and that's known. But each week you're consistently being let down by the same five, six, seven players. So until that bottom sort of section, that depth to fringe best 22 improves, think you're going to be stuck in the same place. Unless, you know, of course, you're Ross Lyon, who can just get the best out of, you know, your fringe players. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening at Carlton at the moment. Um, And I'm just really, really not sure. Voss is clearly coaching for his career. There are question marks over the game plan. The players are unsure. Factions within the playing group. (laughs) Who really knows? What, What do you think?
0: As you talk about with coach sustainability, I compare this to Ollie Wines, who plays for Port, Brownlow medalist. Him and Cripps roughly started their careers at the same time. Ollie has had one coach his entire career. Cripps would have had Malthouse. Yeah, four coaches.
1: Teague
0: and Voss. Teague and Voss. Four coaches so that's on average ten years two and a half years a coach so it's it's not you know you gotta get the top of your your house the top of your hierarchy in order, and it's gonna just flow like I know how you feel I remember like you know going to the dark days of Amy Stadium where Port Adelaide used to have the tarps to to fill up the seats, never tear up the tarps instead of never tear us apart. Um, and those were really dark days as a footy club, 14,000 at um, Amy Stadium, Footy Park. You know, it was just depressing, not get, knowing what you were going to get from your team. Um, and every club does go through these ups and downs. So I do sympathise with Carlton and more just sympathize with their supporters because it's been going on since essentially 2002, 2003 with, you know, the salary cap scandal essentially that, that happened. So yeah, it's just, I don't know what the next step is. I don't think sacking your coach is going to do anything. Um, I think your list management's a problem as we've talked about before. Um, but, yeah, you've got to sort everything out at the top, and I feel like that's going to filter through um, to to the performances on the field. So um, yeah. we're trying to say we're, we're
1: one win ahead of Hawthorne, we're two wins ahead of North Melbourne, and we're three wins ahead of West Coast. When you look at it like that, it's very, very, very grim reading. So... It's um, we're, think... we're closer to 18th than we are to the top eight, and that that kills me. That really kills me, and it must kill the players, well, if they even were to care about that. So it clearly doesn't look like they're caring as much as supporters.
0: I think something that the club should consider would be almost trying to do like a mini reset, and it's essentially the Port Adelaide Carlton show tonight. Um, but end of 2018, Port missed out on finals. They made the bold decisions to let Chad Wingard go, who was a contracted player at the time. They also allowed Jared Polak to walk to North Melbourne. I must admit that that gives me much satisfaction with the way that that deal turned out. A massive but contract. Frankly, that turned into Rosie Butters- Dursma, three blokes that have reshaped the football club. Xavier's still got a bit of, you know, um, work to do to catch the growth of the other two, but he's been very injury prone, unfortunately, in his short career so far. But you can see what Connor and Zach are doing for Port now. I don't know whether something like that would be suitable to, to Carlton your yeah, De Koning's probably going to go at this point. Do you look at trading someone else who is contracted, got some currency to get you another top 10 pick? If you could get two top 10 picks, potentially three first-round picks, how much of an impact could that have? We see what um, Ollie Hollands has, has done in his first 10, 11 games of footy. He's been really solid for Carlton. Could something like that just be like a little mini reset that they need to take it forward? What are your thoughts? I
1: don't think we have any players with currency because I feel like, I mean, I don't know who it was that, that brought it up. One of the journos on SEN or something just saying that when you look at Carlin and them, they have, you know, at their peak probably a good 10 A graders, which out uh, who out of those 10 can you say maybe outside of Kerno, Charlie Kerno, and Adam Chera is playing at their peak. We during the last couple of weeks has turned it around, but sort of overall this season has been really disappointing since he did his shoulder at that Collingwood game last year. Saad, who I've been a massive supporter of, and I hate it when Edson supporters go over him. He's probably near, you know, drop, droppable form, and who knows if he's carrying an injury or something, but he's formed the last month or so. it has been really, really poor. Sam Doherty as well who I feel like, you know, Voss made the move over the preseason, sort of given more midfield minutes, but it sort of backfired because it means that Paddy Dow is stuck in the twos. It means that Matt Kennedy has been playing off halfback. Put of Sam Doherty back where he won his All-Australian. Back to halfback, because right now he's not playing at his peak. Zach Williams, potentially an A grader, but we haven't seen it because he's always injured. Cripps, not at his, playing at his peak right now. at Last, she was probably the one of the better recruits of the year, definitely not playing like it this year. Walsh, not playing at his peak either this year. And then sort of Harry Mackay as well, not playing at his peak either. So you've got so many of these A graders or potential A graders who just aren't playing at the level and potential which we know that they have, which, you know, obviously you can't just blame it on the A graders because, as I mentioned, it's the the bottom tier of players, which is really where the, the breakdown is happening. But... I don't feel like there are a lot of plays with currency right now or if they even were to have currency, it's sort of buying high, selling low. If you get where I'm sort of getting at, you're not selling them at a point where they've got all their value. So I don't I don't really know, to, to be honest. I don't know if Mitch McGowan potentially has some currency, but it doesn't really seem like it. Um, I, wouldn't,
0: I wouldn't think so. Just with the fact that I think he's only played 50, fifty games in five years or something like that. I and on eight hundred thousand. Um so if Carlton re-signed him, I would imagine that um he would be getting a very low ball offer with a lot of triggers in his contract, like we've seen with someone like Stringer in the past. But um let's talk about North Melbourne. Now I know they lost on the weekend. But, geez, there were some exciting signs for them going forward. Ben Mackay probably played one of his best games that I've seen him play in a fair while, and um, I know that there is a lot of clubs that are looking at him as an option for for next year. I know Port Adelaide is certainly one of them. There would be a few other clubs in Melbourne who are sniffing around, but the midfield, the future midfield, of Will Phillips, former pick number three, taken ahead of Logan McDonald. Um, you know, also George Wardlord um and Harry Cecil. That's your future midfield right there. Um, I know Taron Tom- Thomas played on the weekend, and I thought for his first proper game back in the AFL system, he looked quite clean. Um, he was able to get in and re- in and around the ball with a couple of injuries to to Simkin and, and Greenwood. Um, I know that North Melbourne are not going particularly great, but you just see little bits and pieces there that you should be optimistic about if you're a shin boner. What are your thoughts?
1: No, I agree. And you sort of touched on the midfield, but I thought the thing on the weekend which really impressed me Apart from the midfield and Ben McKay, who, like you mentioned, probably played his best game for the year, was their forward line. See Cam Zerha, who had four goals and nine score involvements. You saw Nick Larkey, who had five. Who, you know, wasn't had a bit of a Harry McKay type game, kicking three behinds, but he had five shots on goal. He had four contested marks, and then you've got a bunch of the young kids around them who were, you know, smalls at their feet. So oh, I think it's pretty impressive. I rate their list a lot higher than some of the teams above them on the ladder. So I think there's good signs and who knows when exactly Clark is going to come back as he sort of passed his prime, Does he have the fire in, in himself to sort of bring them back into finals contention and premiership contention eventually. But I think there's a lot of good pieces and a lot to work with and it's very exciting for the list they've sort of got at the moment.
0: I think the only area that will let North Melbourne down at the moment is their defence. Um mccoy hasn't been in the best of form but you know played a solid game on the weekend um i personally don't see the value in playing aiden core that much for north melbourne it's not like i don't think he'll ever be in their next premiership um and on a lot of money too so that's probably why but you know just Probably lacking some of those key defenders, just someone who can play like a little little lockdown, small defender sort of role. Jack Siebel's very um admirable in the way that he does play on those tools sometimes and he's very much outsized, but yeah, it's um I do I I'm bullish on them next year. I could see them getting at themselves out of the bottom four next year, which I think would be a massive thing for their confidence moving forward. Um, is there anything else that you thought particularly stood out on the weekend, Ash? Uh, about the North game we in general? Just in general, mate. Just in general. Uh
1: well, I admire West Coast's Um, West Coast, what's the word I'm I'm looking for? Endeavour in the first three quarters before it sort of fell apart in the fourth. I thought, you know, the inner Carlton supporter and Collingwood hating me, was sort of hoping that they could pull off an upset just like they did last year. But obviously, even know Collingwood, too good for them. Uh, Not much else. Just back on that um, Essendon-North game, what have you thought of Griffin Logue so far this year? Because he's sort of a, a decent not a big name recruit, but he's sort of up there, you know, last year wasn't the biggest sort of off season in terms of trade targets and and, and trades across players, but he was definitely up there in terms of the name. So I think he's had a, a pretty disappointing year so far.
0: I was shocked that Fremantle were almost keen to let him go in a way. Um you know not allowing him to play in defence which is his natural position a western australian boy as well picked six back in 2015 i reckon or 2016 i reckon maybe um yeah i think he's been pretty disappointing for north melbourne um i thought he would be a real um general type for for north melbourne in defence and um, whether he responds, if let's say Mackay does go um, and goes to another club that's, you know, up the ladder a little bit, you might get the best out of him if he is the number one key back. Um, at the moment, he's playing on probably your number two. That allows core to play on your number three. Yeah, I would I would say if you were a North supporter or someone on list management for North Melbourne, you'd probably be regretting that move at the moment. But I still think in the scheme of things, it will become a good deal for them. I think you'll get a bit of a reality check in the off season and I think you'll um, come back. Ash, I think it's time to move into AFL fantasy, mate. Uh, how did you go this week?
1: Um, I had an average sort of week. Um, I climbed about 1,000 in the ranking, so I believe from about 28 or 29,000 to 27. So, look, it's all right. Definitely haven't had the season which I wanted to. Um, my captains though, the last few weeks have been sort of firing pretty well. I went with Tim Toronto back to back, and he's been scoring very nicely. Um, For my trades, I brought in Jordan Dawson, who on debut for me scored a 128, so that is brilliant. Um, I've mentioned in the past that sort of my fantasy season is well and truly done, so I've been going for some big names. Uh, Big, big, bold trades. Originally, I was sort of on the Carlton train. I think I brought in four Carlton players in four weeks. First was... Chin Cotter back when he debuted. Then it was Walsh, who's been really disappointing. Then it was Cherat. Then it was Doherty two weeks ago. So pause that now, and I've gone for some other big trades. I think people often say don't trade out your primos, and that definitely didn't work so well with me earlier this season with Rose and and Goulden, although both of them have sort of fallen off a bit. Not, Not too consistent. But look, this week I'm trading out Shazel. I'm trading out Siebel and I'm trading out Will Day. So there are three sort of lower-end primos. And for that, I'm getting Butters, Merritt, and Will Phillips. Will Phillips, I was sort of tossing up a bit whether to go for him or a cheaper sort of rookie, but I don't think the rookies are sort of available at the moment. Stan McDonald from Hawthorne, Har- Harvey Harrison from Collingwood, uh, I think there's someone from North as well who is pretty um, looking decent. He's been a sub a few times. So they're probably job security with Harrison McDonald, not the greatest, and their scoring potential, not the greatest either. So I thought I'd pay out for Will Phillips, who definitely looks the last couple of weeks has scored back-to-back 90s, I'm pretty sure. So uh, see how well it can ride that wave. And, uh, yeah, another bye week this week, although only two teams having their buys, which uh Pretty unique, but I'll take it. Three trades when you're only missing two teams is uh pretty nice. Yeah. I uh managed to get
0: 1843, which I feel like's okay. It's not great. Um my ranking is overall ranking is thirteen thousand. Um, so it's not shocking. It's still not great either considering I was in the top 1,600 after round one. I should have retired after that point. But, um, yeah, defense was good with Dacos and, and Dawson um, both tuning up. Um, I chased the break-even game, and I actually brought in Dylan Williams a few weeks ago, um, and that's working out well. He got a 78. I, I know it's against Hawthorne, but still take a 78. Um, I think she, you're right. Sheezle is getting to his price ceiling. So um, when his buy week does come around, it will probably be um, see you later to Sheezle. Thanks for, for all your hard work that you've done so far. Uh, I put the C on Zach Merritt, and that worked out a bloody treat. Um, Warpole got an 82, which I'm happy with. Callahan got an 85, which I'm very, very happy with. Um, Greenwood was on fire until he got a concussion in that game. He was on 49 and I only brought that trade in because I couldn't really afford anyone else. And I was playing the break even game. I think he had a break even of about 14. uh, So I was looking to chase some cash there. Um, Samson Ryan, he continues to actually, you know, um, you know, scoring a few points here and there. He got a 60. So, you know, a little bit extra cash, but then your forward line, Butters 129, Rosie 121, Taranto 130, which you talked about, and Cogs uh, has been a pretty consistent form- performer this year. Um, as you talked about, there are genuinely no rookies. I did bring in um, Harvey Harrison. I wasn't thrilled on his job security, but... I think maybe with uh, Dagoe going out, it might allow him to stay in the team um, and play more of that forward role, but um, Jamie Elliott could be back for Collingwood for King's birthday. So um, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my trades at the moment. Um, I think it will be more next week when there's i think six teams having their buy um that i'll probably look to make some serious changes um probably just try and fix up some of those mid prices i've been saying that i've been wanting to get rid of warpool and callahan for for quite some time um but someone that i really want to mention and i gave him a lot of flap when he got a donut and played the entire game pretty much. And that's Bailey Humphrey. Like he has just turned it around the last few weeks. Uh, He got me a 68 on the weekend and um, he's actually signed a four year extension with the Gold Coast Suns um, after um, only six, seven games of AFL footy. So he signed up until the end of 2028, which um, is fantastic for him, but, I just wanted to ask you, we talk about these players doing long-term contracts. You see Nick Blakey get signed until the end of 2031. Like, he's a solid player. But I feel that is an extremely irresponsible contract. We see what's going on with Carlton at the moment and their long-term deals getting them into trouble. And I understand that long-term deals are becoming part of the game. and if the player wants to move, there will be a way that they get to move pretty well. Um, what are your thoughts on this particular Blakey deal? Well,
1: it's probably the rare time when I agree with Kane Corns. To be quite honest, he's been pretty vocal about his disappointment when clubs sign players to long-term contracts. With Nick Blakey, sort of, he's had. I know he was. Oh, he's obviously been good this year. He's been good last year, but other than that, I think he's had. Maybe two solid seasons, which have been sort of above average, but after that, he's been sort of pretty poor. Obviously, still very young. So signed for, he still has this year, next year, so it's two years right now plus seven years. So he's locked into the club for nine years, including this season, which is just crazy to think about. So good on him. Uh, but yeah, like you're, you're right. It does backfire um, a fair bit. But I think most of the time you see that backfiring when you sign off long-term contracts off a trade. If you sort of have already had them in your system, then I'm not too against that. Like well, in can't. I'm not, you know, too disappointed that we've got Mackay and Curnow and Cripps and Weidering and Walsh on long-term contracts, but it's more like you know, McGoverns, Martins, Williams, those types um, that have been a bit more disappointing. So, I look, good on Sydney and Blakey for locking apart, lock, locking away a key part of their future. But yeah, it's a very long time. I say a week is a long time in football. Try eight, nine years.
0: Yeah, it's just like Blakey is a really good player for Sydney. No doubt about that. But he's not. I feel like your big long-term deals are for your key forwards, your Ruckman, more often than not, um, your genuine A-grade midfielders, your Petrarca-esque, Oliver-esque, you know, sort of players. Blakey is a very tall halfback flanker. Ah. For the type of player he is, I would not feel comfortable doing that as a club. Good on Blakey. Good on his management. I think his management deserves a fair pay rise. And I'm not sure what type of money he's on. Um, But, yeah, I just, it's it's a peculiar one to me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that, is a great way to end our show controversial topics with degoey uh west coast not flying the flag for their teammates uh port and carlton, the port and carlton show tonight and then finishing off with the Kane Corns long-term contract debate ash thank you so much for joining me mate um always a pleasure to chat footy with you same here
1: uh Callum. very nice chat today
0: very good hopefully uh Nathan and and Tom will be able to uh, join us on the panel uh, over the next few weeks. But thank you so much to those of you who are tuning in at home. Make sure you go and follow Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram for updates about our latest episodes and other shows going on the network. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers.